0: Good morning. Uh, we continue on in Advent. This is the uh, fourth and final Sunday of Advent. And this um, theme of anticipation continues strongly. We've, we've moved. There's been a subtle shift, if you've noticed, from an um, anticipation of Christ's second coming at the beginning of Advent. And now we are beginning to um, join in those biblical characters that have come thousands of years before us anticipating Christ's first coming, his first coming. And that's what we are preparing for now, obviously, as Christmas is but a week away. Here in this fourth Sunday of Advent, we join Mary um, months before she gives birth to Jesus, anticipating his birth, anticipating His her Savior. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. If you've got it on a phone or a tablet, by all means, pull that up and um, follow along with me. Don't take my word for it. Take the Scripture's word for it. And we will talk a little bit about um, Mary and her response, what we call the Magnificat um, to God's uh, bestowing upon her um, to be the mother of the Lord. <clears throat> So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, we will um, eventually uh, get to verse 39 and following. Um, But but simply want to note this about Luke's Gospel. He begins with these two parallel accounts. Okay, we have here divine messages to two very unlikely women. Two divine messages to two unlikely women. The first one comes to um, Elizabeth. Uh, She's an old woman. She is barren. She's not had children or been able to have children, which would have been a big um, scorn on her from society's standpoint to not be able to have children at that time. Um, She gets this message that she's going to have a child, a baby boy. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the other unlikely woman is, of course, Mary. She perhaps is the opposite of Elizabeth. She's young, she's a virgin. And she has been promised to give birth to the Messiah, to the Son of God, to the one who would save her people. What an amazing thing that must have been to hear that word from God for either of these women. But think about Mary. She was told that she would become pregnant. And she asked, well, how could this be? And God says, well, the Holy Spirit, through Gabriel, the angel, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be pregnant. You will conceive a child, and his name will be Jesus. And then he goes on to say, behold, your servant Elizabeth is also pregnant. Your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. And so we have Mary receiving this word from God. What can this be? And God tells her how it's going to happen. And he says also, by the way, your barren and old cousin Elizabeth is having a child as well. And Mary responds, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then we get to our passage today and we find that Mary um, arose and went, what does it say? It says with haste into the hill country to see Elizabeth. There's probably two reasons for this. One, this news that her cousin is pregnant would have been a pretty big deal. They say having children is is only for the young, Um, and I think there's a reason. It's very tiring. And so Elizabeth, in her old age, to have a child is going to need some help, right? And so perhaps one reason Mary goes to see her is simply that, to help her cousin. But I think there's another reason. This could be, for her, right, confirmation about what God has promised, Confirmation, the things are as God says they are. Imagine getting this message. So unlikely, right? You're not married. You're a virgin. You're going to have a divine child. How could you believe that? Now, in those days, she couldn't go to the doctor and have an ultrasound, right? She couldn't go and have the heartbeat listened to. There was no way to know, at least at first. And so she might be pregnant, but maybe, maybe if I go and see Elizabeth, she's thinking, and I find out that Elizabeth really isn't pregnant, then, then maybe I'm not either. And so she goes. and She makes this journey to see her cousin. And when, when she sees Elizabeth and she greets Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy. At the voice of Mary, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, is jumping for joy. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she calls out to her cousin, to Mary, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth wouldn't have known, right? She wouldn't have known Mary was pregnant. Except from a word from God. Did she realize this? And so here we have Mary's confirmation. She had believed, by all means, she had trusted God. She said, be it to me according to your word. But at this moment, she knows for sure that she is the one. That the words of Gabriel were true. Mary is to be the mother of the Messiah. And that God was at long last moving to redeem and restore his people. One of the amazing things about Mary is that she is always, her her, her main job, and she does it in such a beautiful way, is to point us to Christ. Points us to Christ. She she could hear say, wow, I must be really great that God picked me. But she doesn't. Or think about the wedding at Cana, right, in Galilee. And she says, Jesus... Now's the time, you need to help. And he says, he says, no, and she looks at the servants and she says, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. She points to Jesus. And then when all the disciples had left, she is there at the foot of the cross, beholding her son, pointing us to Christ. And so we have it this morning in, in this, um, this hymn, this ancient Christian hymn, the Magnificat, This is Mary's joyful um, response to the fulfillment of God's promises. The first thing we see is that Mary's rejoicing in the things that God has done for her. Let's read verses 46 to 49. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God has selected a humble and lowly woman to bring his Messiah into the world. And she, she gets that. She's praising God because he's actually entered into and blessed her lowly estate. This poor peasant woman from Nazareth, of all places. You remember what I think it was Nathaniel said about Nazareth, right? When when he was introduced to Jesus or told about Jesus that he's from Nazareth, and Nathaniel says, Nazareth? What good could come out of Nazareth? This is Mary. She's from Nazareth. She's poor. She's a peasant woman. And in her womb, she's nurturing the Messiah. Of Israel. She's nurturing the son of God. She's nurturing the savior of the nations. So Mary's realizing, this is mind-blowing. That the God of all creation, the creator of heaven and earth, the God that led Israel out of the wilderness. The God who raised up David and made him king and promised him an heir on the throne forever. This God has condescended himself to the status of a young, poor, unmarried, peasant woman. That it is not through earthly royalty, it is not through earthly power, it is not through earthly wealth that God will bring salvation. Instead, it's through this humble and poor woman and eventually and most importantly, her humble and poor son. Mary's soul magnifies God because he has looked on her and is doing great things for her. But her soul also magnifies God because he is doing great things for the world. Um, this, the God's interaction with Mary... Um, bringing salvation through the poor and the humble. This is simply a a paradigm, a a snapshot of how God interacts with the rest of the world. Let's read verses 51 to 55. Mary continues to praise God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humblest state. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So these verses reinforce what God is doing through Mary. It is not through worldly power, not through authority, not, not through worldly wealth that salvation comes. God works with us. And what seems to us to be an upside-down way of working, right? Think about the way that things typically get done in this world. If you want something done or even if you want to become someone, it helps to know the right people, right? It helps to have the right status. It helps to have a certain amount of wealth to afford the right things, even if that's an education, This is not always how it works in this world, but generally speaking, if you have one of those three ingredients, you have a much better shot of making it in this world. Any one of them contributes greatly to worldly success. So just imagine what God could have accomplished if he had chosen to enter this world as a successful CEO A dynamic world leader. How many more people would know Jesus, right? Wrong. We know that it would be very hard for God to work through somebody like that. It's not that he can't, but that it would be very hard. The things that Mary proclaims will be brought down are the very things that provide worldly accomplishment. Pride, power, wealth. These things too often inhibit the work of God. Ask yourself this question. If you have pride, power, and wealth, why do you need a Savior? If you're at the top of the food chain, if you're the big boss, you can save yourself. Too often, pride, power, and wealth. Now listen, these aren't bad things. These aren't bad things. These can be good things. They they can be gifts from God. But too often, these three things, pride, power, and wealth, we don't use them as good things. They become for us ultimate things. And when good things become ultimate things, we're we're actually substituting God for them. They become substitutes, and they inhibit our ability to know God fully. It's humility. It's weakness. It's inability that drives us to God. When we can't save ourselves, then we realize that we need to turn to our Savior. But pride and power and wealth, these things too often make us think that we can save ourselves. Ask yourself, have you ever thought something like this? If I only had a little bit more money, I would finally be happy. I could finally do things in this world. If I only had a little bit more power or status in this community, I could really make a difference. If you're saying that about something, that thing is becoming your God. And when things like that become our God's, The true God of this universe has very little use for us. He loves us and he wants us back. But we become very difficult to work with. And so we see here that the way God works with this world is by flipping everything upside down. And he enters in through a lowly and humble woman. And through the child of that lowly and humble woman, he will bring down the powerful. He'll bring down the mighty. He will bring down The wealthy. So what are we going to do with this? First thing, God meets us in our humility. If you have status or or power or wealth, by all means, um, that does not preclude you from knowing the Lord, but you might have to work a little harder at cultivating humility. That's just sort of how it goes. Most of us in this room, have a level or a status that does not necessarily lead to us to be humble people. And so we need to remind ourselves daily that in the eyes of God, compared to His grandeur, compared to His glory, compared to His majesty, we are nothing but humble sinners in need of a Savior. You could be the wealthiest person on earth or you could be the poorest person on earth. But in the eyes of God, you both need the same Jesus. And this Advent season is a perfect time to remind us that we need a huge dose of humility. And so that we can cultivate that ourselves in prayer, in reading the scriptures, and in confession. If you just sit down once a day and and think through all of the, the sins you've committed, and remember two things, against God and against your neighbor, Things you've done and things you've left undone. Okay, that list gets pretty big pretty quick. And confess those to God. That's a great way to cultivate humility. And just remember, sometimes God's going to humble you himself. Whether you like it or not. But it's in our humbled state that we can meet the glory and majesty of God. And realize his desire For our salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So God meets us in our humility. And the final thing I want you to bring home is this. We cannot get around the fact that God has a special concern for the poor and the powerless. That cannot be avoided. Now this isn't a political statement. This isn't about how we concern ourselves for the poor and the powerless. Um, we all have opinions about that, and if you want to talk about it, we can do that later. But the fact of the matter is, God does care. He cares about the refugee. He cares about the homeless. He cares about those without power. He cares about children who don't have meals to make it to the next day. He has a special care for them, even. And so as Christians, we, we have to cultivate, as a sign of our faith in Christ, compassion, compassion. For the poor and powerless in this world. It's not something we can just do. But but once we are humbled. And once we realize that there's no different between the richest and the poorest. The most powerful and the weakest. Once we realize that we all need the same Savior. How could we not have a heart for those who are struggling around us? God has a special concern. For the poor and the powerless and has given us a special calling to show to this world how they are glorious in the eyes of the Lord. And so as we approach Christmas this last week of Advent, I do pray that God will humble us, that we will praise him out of our humility and that out of our salvation we will be humbled to join God in identifying with the least around us, showing compassion on those who have nothing. Because one day, we'll all stand together at Christ's second coming. One day, we will all join him around his throne, praising him and offering him thanksgiving for what he's done for us. And I pray that we can begin to join together and do that even now. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for bringing down the powerful, even when in some cases that is us, and we thank you for raising up the humble and poor in hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would meet us this Advent season, that you would prepare our hearts for the coming of your Son, Christ, that even now, Lord, our hearts would be made throne rooms for him in anticipation of that one day when he returns, and we all gather around his glorious throne, offering him praise and thanksgiving. May our souls magnify you at all times, O Lord. Amen.